0: Over the last couple of weeks, many of you were here last week. Dr. Robert Smith came and spoke, and he, he spoke a very timely word for us in the place we were at. And what's interesting about this, many of you may not know this, but uh, you, you, he was my, uh, even my preaching professor in seminary, and he played a, a great role in my life. I've shared with you how about midway through cement, cemetery, yeah. midway through cemetery. It was at about midway. It had become a cemetery, and and I was dry, and I've shared this with you, and and I was I was just I was like a jar full of something rotten. I, I was just I was just full of religion, and and and, and you know I've, I've I was not enjoying my my Christianity. I wasn't enjoying my faith. I was just enduring, and I was like a leaf that was just blowing around, dust, and. God began to work in my life. I, I ended up in Doctor Smith's class, and He began to to uh, to pour into me, and He, along with a, a few other individuals, God just turned my life around. Okay, He took me from a very Pharisaical, or just put it a Pharisee. <laughs> he took me from a Pharisee to a to someone who who had a desire and a hunger to pursue him not things about him but to pursue his heart and and i just appreciate dr smith coming last week but we had been trying to work out a sunday that would work for both of us for four years okay it wasn't a last minute thing would you come preach on the the three sundays before we leave but we 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 agreed on this over a year ago and so do you see how god just orchestrates things he had a message for us, and he had a servant to bring it, and he wouldn't let him come until it was the right time, and I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled to serve a God like that, and uh, and so this morning, as I share, we've, we've talked about two signs of a willing heart, and this morning, we're going to look at the third sign of a willing heart. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the authentic signs of a willing heart, I talked about this the first Sunday, but genuine obedience to God is only possible when it when it issues when it springs forth from a from a willing heart. When you have to force obedience, it's not really obedience. Okay? It's slavery. Now as parents, we we teach our children over time what to do and what not to do. And at a period in at a point in their life they realize This pleases mom, this pleases dad, or this is the right thing to do, and this is the wrong thing to do, and they pick it up. Now, there's always a few kids, like my brother and I, who just didn't pick that up. And it took us a lot longer, okay? We were rebellious, and and God gave me a father that knew how to deal with rebellion. But at some point, when you're forced to do something, and you don't understand why, it becomes rebellion. And what happens with, with most Christians is they know all the do's and the don'ts. They just don't understand why the do's and the don'ts are in place. Many people come in to, to, to faith, they come to faith, and they think that, that God is trying to force them to do things the way He wants things done, or He's a, he's a, a cosmic killjoy who, who, who doesn't want anybody to have any fun. That's not why God has, has rules and He has laws and certain things that He wants. He does those things to keep us. From hurting ourselves or hurting someone else. That's really the only two reasons. That's why you shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not uh, lie or steal. You, you shall not have uh, idols before me. All of those things hurt us or they hurt someone else. And the reality of it is... Most of those things and the other things that we're supposed to do or not do, they really hurt us and someone else. It's never just us, and it's never just someone else. And so what happens is, is very often most Christians don't realize that. They just think, you know, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I? Now, that, that sounds like a child. Amen. Amen. My daddy would say, Nelson, you can't do that. Daddy, can I go? So and so? No, you can't do that. Why? I said so. Well, Daddy, everybody else is doing it. Well, Sonny, if everybody else were jumping off the cliff, would you jump? Yep. I mean, I can I, these answers. I heard this every time, and I did. I just couldn't get it. I just, I just did, it wouldn't go through this head. The reason my father wouldn't let me do those things is because he loved me, and he didn't want to see me get hurt or hurt somebody. The reason we don't get in a car and drive drunk is so we won't hurt somebody, okay? There's there's all kinds of rules. And the reason we stop at stop signs is so the people on the, on the through street won't run over us or we won't run over them. There's reasons, but we don't think about that. We just think, I can't do that. God won't let me do that. And And what happens is we obey because we have to rather than because we want to. And when that happens... What really happens is we feel like slaves, and we become angry and resentful. And what happens is we have a rebellious spirit. That's why we struggle so much. But when you have a willing heart, you obey because you want to. You know that, that the obedience pleases the person that you love. And not only that, the person that loves you more than anyone else does. And so your desire is to please God. God. Jesus came to set us free, folks. How many of you realize that? He came to set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death basically says, if you, the soul that sins shall die. Okay? That, that's it. It's that simple. The soul that sins shall die. And Jesus came to set us free from that. He didn't come to enslave us. He didn't come to give us 10,000 more rules to keep. No one has kept the rules. Okay? Before Jesus and after Jesus. Jesus is the only one who was able to do everything that God wanted done. And because he did that... He has set us free to have a relationship. He set us free we we do them. Now because, not because we have to, but because we want to, we get to, because we have a heart that that wants to be open to God. Paul puts it this way, and you're going to have to do this the old-fashioned way, okay? You're going to have to open your Bible and turn here really quick. I'm going to slow down a little bit on this, but I never even think about that because I know they pop up on the screen. I know our our sound and our, our media folks, they do an awesome job, but this morning we don't have... I looked over there this morning, I thought, man, something's missing. I couldn't figure out what it was. and It's the big screen that's been with us for, for four years. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, this is what the Apostle Paul says. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom so that we could be free. Now, as Americans, we talk about freedom and how free we are. Folks, we're not free, and we're giving up our freedoms every day. That's another sermon that I could preach. I'm not going to, but we're we're giving up freedoms left and right. We're really not free, but in Christ, we are free. We're free. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. And then he says this, therefore, keep standing firm. Now, where have you heard that before? Ephesians chapter 6. Four times, stand firm. Stand firm. Withstand. Therefore, keep standing firm. Why do we stand firm in our freedom? Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery. Most of you know what a yoke is. That's what you put on uh, an oxen or uh, a mule or a well. I guess that's the two that a horse that you plow with. That's how you control them. And so what, what Paul is saying is, is don't put the yoke of slavery back on. And that's exactly where most Christians live. Christ took the yoke off of them. They got saved, and they begin to 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 get into a church, and the next thing they know, boom, they've got the yoke back on them. I've got to do this, this, and this, and this. And if I'm not there every Sunday, and if I don't read my Bible every night, and if I don't get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and pray, Jesus is not going to love me. Some of yours are, that's, hey, that's where I lived for so long. Folks, I don't pray because I have to anymore. I don't read my Bible because I have to anymore. I don't even come to church because I have to anymore. You say, well, you're the pastor, you have to. I may have to, but you know what? I don't have to be the pastor I do those things because I want to, and there's a place in there where it becomes more than just want. It's I get to. I'm free now to worship God. I'm free now to talk to God. I'm I'm free. I, it's not a it's not a burden that I I carry to try to earn His love or His 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 uh, you know religious merit points or whatever you want to call it. I get to talk to the person who loves me more than anything else. I get to learn about when I read the scriptures it's like a love letter. It's 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 not do's and don'ts anymore. I understand okay. Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's whatever. Well, if you don't covet your neighbor's stuff, you won't ever take your neighbor's stuff. That just makes sense. Thou shalt not worship idols. I mean, why would I want to bend down and kneel down to a stick? piece of wood I, i'm reading jeremiah and, and isaiah right now in my quiet times okay and and i just i just love the way god he says you cut a tree and for with half of it you burn the wood to make heat and with the other half of it you adorn it and you bow down before it and say oh you are the god who can do anything see how stupid that is i don't know why i'm throwing this in i'm preaching stuff i wasn't going to preach but paul says it was for freedom that christ set us free therefore we have to stand firm so that we don't take up that yoke again and become slaves and folks when we obey because we have to we put the yoke back on us and we become slaves again jesus put it this way in john chapter 8 verse 31 and 32 He says, if you continue, or if you abide in my word, if you obey me, that's what he's saying, if you'll do what I say, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. See, we've believed lies. We've believed that that if I don't do everything right, God won't love me. Or if I mess up, God's going to knock me back to the bottom of the hill. Whenever I sin, I start all over again. Listen to me. When a person sins, they fall down. And they lay there until they get back up and repent and begin to climb some more. They don't roll to the bottom of the hill and start over, okay? That's not the God we serve. We serve a God who loves us with an unconditional love. Yes, He is a righteous God, and He is a just God. He's not a God of love. He's righteous and holy and just. But you know what? He sent Jesus to make us righteous. He sent Jesus to empower us to do the things that we couldn't do that He required. That's how much He loves us. And folks, when we understand that truth, it sets us free. All those do's and don'ts, thou shalt not go to movies, thou shalt not do this. Thou, y- y'all know all this stuff. Y'all come from all kinds of denominational flavors. Every denomination has their little do's and don'ts that you can't find in the Bible. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about. Thou shalt wear your hair this way, y'all shall not wear your hair this way. You know what I'm saying, okay? <laughs> y- y'all know what I'm saying. Jesus died to set us free from that, okay? He died to set us free from that. And we experience God's love and favor in the deepest of ways as we freely obey Him and walk in His truth. When our relationship stops being I have to and starts being I want to, things take place. And folks, the only way that can happen is we have a willing heart. A willing heart is a heart that longs to bring God pleasure and obey Him above and beyond what is required. Now, I used to work in the workplace in a different way than I do now. And so I know what it's like to have a job and to work and have certain things that are required and do the very minimum that could be done to fulfill the requirements of the job. Any of y'all know what I'm talking about? I know none of y'all are that way, okay? I know none of y'all are that way. But that's, that's how most people live. And, and that's, that's, not, that's not a picture of a willing heart. A willing heart is willing to go the extra mile. It's, it's willing. It lives in a state of readiness, okay? And, and by that I mean ready uh, to do whatever or go wherever Jesus calls us to go. A state of readiness. We've looked at two of the signs of a a willing heart. We've looked at the, the gift of self. And by that I mean a willing heart gives itself to God completely without reservation. So we've looked at, 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 at the gift of self, and we've looked at the grace of sacrifice. When you have a willing heart, you're willing to sacrifice yourself for the good of something greater or for another person. Today, we're going to look at the guarantee of service. That's what I'm, I'm calling this. We're going to look at the final one. And when we look at this, as we've talked about over the past few weeks, Jesus is our model, okay? He's our perfect example. He came to show us how to fulfill what God requires. He came to restore what Adam lost. You see, Adam blew it, okay? Eve blew it. And nobody after them could pick up the ball again and go where God wanted them to go. So God had to come. And he sent his son Jesus. He sent Jesus to come. And that's why Jesus is known As the last Adam or the second Adam. He comes and he fulfills exactly what God wants. He came to fulfill and he came to finish everything that Adam failed to do. It was never God's intention for his his sons and his daughters to live under a system of forced obedience and slave labor. Okay? That was never God's plan. But that's what we turned faith in God into. That's what, that's what became religion. That's how religion sprang up. Religion enforces a code so that you can measure how religious you are. Relationship is about the heart. There's no, there's no code in relationship. It's a heart connection. And so Jesus comes. And a part of, of God's plan is that we would walk out obedience in the context of a loving, personal relationship with him. It was a a choice, as I've mentioned. I want to, not I have to. Jesus wanted to obey God fully. And in doing so, he gives us a picture. He gives us an example of what true service looks like, what, what living for God really looks like. Jesus makes a very profound statement in Matthew chapter 20. Verse 25 through 28. And if if you're familiar with this passage, this is where uh, James and John come, and and they basically want to sit on the Lord's right hand and His left hand. They want to be the big kahunas, okay? That's basically what they do. They want to be the bosses. And so what happens is Jesus, He rebukes them in a... A gentle but straightforward way. And I want us to I want us to hear what he says. In in verse twenty five of Matthew twenty he says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It's not to be that way among you. I want you to listen to what he says. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Now, those are oxymorons, okay? Those are two things. I mean, if you're going to be great, Jesus says you have to be least. If you're going to be the Lord, you have to be a servant. Those things don't go together in our culture. Amen? If you're going to be first, you sure are not last. They didn't go in this culture either. But in the kingdom of God, that's the culture that's expected. And and God just just doesn't say, look, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. He gives us an example by doing exactly that. Listen to the last part of the verse. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. In other words, Jesus didn't come for, for people to serve him. He came, Scripture says, to serve And to give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve. And to give his life a ransom. Jesus came to serve. And the third sign of a a willing heart is the guarantee of service. A willing heart is a servant's heart, folks. We're not here to get Okay, I will say that again. This, that's not the purpose of our life, to get stuff. We are here to give. That old adage that the, the, the boy who has the most toys and dies with them is number one. That's not true. It's the person who gives away, and gives away and invests in others that makes the difference that, that people remember. A willing heart is a servant's heart. You know what? I love to be around people with with a servant's heart. And for the last five or six weeks, I've been around a lot of people with servant's hearts. I've seen people do things that they wouldn't normally do. I've seen people knock dusty bricks and blocks out. And then haul them in wheelbarrows. I've seen people spread gravel. I've seen people uh, carry stuff and clean stuff and wash stuff and cut stuff and, and do whatever was asked of them, even though that's not what they normally do. And it's been hot. Let me say that again. It's been really hot. And it's been worse than Humid. I would just tell you, like, it's been hell some days, okay? It just really has. But people kept coming, and people kept doing. Why? Because there's, there's, a, there's a desire within here to serve. Not to serve me, but to serve God. We're, we're doing what we're doing for a greater good. A, 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 a servant, a person with a servant's heart, they are doers okay, who, who look for opportunities to serve no matter what the conditions are. They don't wait to be told. Now, I realize sometimes, hey, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. But once someone's told, hey, you could help their help, they just jumped in there and did it, okay? But a person with a servant's heart finds opportunities or they make opportunities. They just don't stand around one way or another, that service is guaranteed. Why? Because they have a willing heart. Because their obedience just seems to ooze out of them all over the place. And the willingness to to serve is one of the characteristics that made the early church irresistible to the people of the cultures they lived in. Irresistible to the society they lived in. Listen to me. Roman culture, Greek culture, all the other cultures of the world were about taking not giving. The Romans were there to take everything they could get. The Greeks before them took everything they could get. The Persians before them took everything they could get. They were takers, they were not givers. The early church exemplified Jesus. Jesus came what? To serve. Not to get, but to serve, to give. And so the early church exemplified him. They gave of themselves. They gave their time. They gave their money. They gave their food. They gave their labor. They gave their love even when they were abused, when they were misused. And folks, yes, even when they were martyred. And there are Brothers and sisters around this world today who are being misused, who are being abused, and yes, they are being martyred, but you know what they're doing? They're giving their loves to communities to change those communities, even though those communities and the culture they live in hate them. The early church didn't see, here's the the key you got to get this morning. They didn't see service as a job or a task. And too often in the church, we see serving as something we have to do. Well, Jesus did it. We have to do it. I'm going to be pastoral here, and I'm going to say this in a very nice way and smile. Please don't do anything you have to do. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Okay? God will raise up somebody that wants to do it. Okay? Okay? When we do things we don't want to do, we have bad attitudes. How do I know that? Because I've had some bad attitudes over the last four or five weeks. Okay? And God's had to deal with me about it. I'm just being straight up with you. He's had to deal with me about that. He doesn't need me. Okay, he can get somebody else to do those things if I don't come with the right attitude. But the early church didn't see it as a job or a task. They saw it, folks. Listen to me. They saw it as worship. When they, when they saw a neighbor in need or a person that, that was destitute or that, that there was something in their community that was lacking, they saw that they were ultimately not doing it for that person, not for that, that destitute person, not for that community. They were doing it as unto God. They were doing it for God. It was their individual service of worship. It was a, a visible act of, of adoration. It was worship. Now, there's been a lot of worship going on at the Morris Campus, okay? There has been. And there's been some that, that wasn't, okay? But that's just reality, but there's been a lot. And people have noticed it, okay? Someone stopped yesterday and said, man, I've, I've seen all this going on. I'm going to be here that first Sunday. Okay? It speaks to the community just like it spoke to the community in the first century. A willing heart sees the needs around it, folks, and it moves to do something. You know what? Perhaps we just need a new set of eyes. If you're struggling to see those things today, it may just be that you need the eyes of the Holy Spirit to see what Jesus saw. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. This is one of those verses that every time I read it, God teaches me something new. It's one of those verses that just grabs hold of me every time I read it. But Matthew 9, 36 puts it this way. Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed. They were harassed. That's what that word means. And they were dispirited. That means they were thrown down. He says, Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. We read that and we, we don't really pay attention to what Jesus felt. Jesus saw the people he encountered as, a, as this gigantic flock of sheep. And if you know anything about sheep, sheep are helpless. Okay, they don't have they don't have teeth to protect themselves. They don't have claws. They've got some of them got horns, but they're pretty much useless. They're just big old bundles of uh, of wool with a lot of mutton chops underneath. Okay, they're 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 the food in the food chain for most predators. And that's what Jesus likens us to, a sheep. And he saw them as a large flock of sheep that had gone as far as they possibly could go on their own strength. And now those sheep were exhausted. And they were scattered over the hillsides. And they were laid out on the ground unable to walk any farther. You, you, You see the picture? When Jesus saw the crowds that were falling, that's what he saw. He saw people that were helpless and hopeless. And something inside of him stirred, and out of that stirring, compassion came forth. Not pity, but compassion. With a passion, he saw them. And he determined, I will do something for them. You see, that they were vulnerable. Why, why would he do something for them? Because they were vulnerable. They, they, were, they, were, they could be attacked at any moment by, the, by wolves because they had no one to protect them. They were lost because they had no guidance. Listen, you turn sheep out, they just do this. Okay? They have to have someone to lead them to the food and lead them to the water. And so they were were lost. They had no guidance. And they were starving to death because they had no pasture. They were lost because they had no guidance. They were starving because they had no pasture. And that sight moved Jesus. It moved him in his inward Parts. It moved him in his heart, if you want to say it like we say it, to act. And folks, that's what compassion does. And we need to see with Jesus' eyes until we are moved inwardly to act outwardly. If we act outwardly without the compassion inwardly, we are wasting our time. It's when we are moved within, when the Spirit of God moves us to meet that need that that things changed. Service comes from a willing heart that's filled with compassion. Jesus was moved by the needs he saw. What did he see? Well, he saw a woman with an issue of blood who had spent everything she had on doctors and was no better off ten years later than she was on day one. He saw the widow of Nain whose only son was dead who was now in a hopeless situation because she was a widow. She had no husband to take care of her in the culture that she lived in. She was the least of the least, and now her son was gone. He saw her with compassion. He saw the lepers who were untouchable, who no one had anything to do with, who had to stand off and cry unclean, unclean, unclean. And he was moved with compassion. He saw the blind who, who basically were wandering around living on handouts, coins in a cup. He saw the, the mute, those who couldn't speak for themselves. Those They couldn't hear. They couldn't speak. They were helpless. They were trapped inside the, a body that wouldn't work. He saw them and he was moved with compassion. He saw the crippled who were in whatever condition they were, had to drag themselves around and beg for food. He saw the Samaritan woman at the well. He saw a woman that had messed up not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, but seven times. Now, was it literally seven? I don't know. Probably so, but, but seven is the number of completion. Okay? I believe I'm right there. It's, it's, it's the number of completion. Basically, she was messed up. Okay, it wasn't her husband's that she'd had, it was her. She had a problem. And every time that problem reinvented itself in every relationship. And she just basically thrown her hands up and said, I'm not going to do it the way it's supposed to be done, I'm just going to do it this way. And he saw her, he saw through that, he saw a, 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 a human being who was helpless and hopeless and trapped. And he had compassion Folks, he he saw the Syrophoenician woman's child and he saw her. Here was a a mother whose baby was demonized. And there was nothing she could do about it. And whenever the demon chose to come, it it wreaked havoc in their house. And she was unwilling to take no for an answer. He was moved by compassion. He he saw Legion. Y'all know the story of Legion? The naked guy who lives in the cemetery, who cuts himself with rocks and howls and screams, and and his eyes are bulged out on ends, and he's got shackles hanging all over him, and he's, he's just terrorizing the neighborhood. Jesus didn't see the booger man there. He saw a man who was made in the image and the likeness of God, who was being tormented by the devil, and he was moved. He was moved with compassion. And, folks, I could go on and on and on because there's a whole host of nameless people in this book who are known only to God whom Jesus saw. Jesus saw them. He was moved by them, and he acted with a willing heart. He didn't do it because he had to. He had to. He did it because he wanted to. He was moved with compassion. He served them. He met them at the greatest point of their need. And there's, there's a truth there that, that the church needs to relearn. Folks, when you meet people at their greatest point of need, at least the need they think is greatest, God will meet them at their deepest point of need, which is the need for a Savior. Okay? He didn't turn his back. He didn't cross the street. And he didn't walk on by. Folks, just because you turn your head doesn't mean the need goes away. Just because you avoid it doesn't mean the need goes away. He stooped down. He lifted them up and He served them according to their need. He touched them. Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus touched the prostitutes. Jesus touched the woman who had the issue of blood. Jesus touched the Syrophoenician uh, woman's child. Jesus touched the dead body. And made the widow of Nain's son come alive. Jesus touched them. He got his hands dirty. The plight of people moved him. And he sought them out. I love what, what Luke chapter nineteen ten says. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, I, I understand the, the there's a theological meaning there. All right? I understand that. He came to be the Savior, all right. He came to bring salvation. But there's also a literal meaning here that these words mean that two thousand years ago, the people whom Jesus sought out and who saved that were lost understood. He came to seek. He hunted them out. He looked them up and he saved them. He delivered them from whatever was was an issue in their life because they were lost. They were perishing and they were experiencing a miserable end. They were dying physically, folks, not just spiritually, but physically. And we're surrounded by people who are experiencing the same things. But we have to see them, folks. We have to see them with the eyes of compassion that comes from a willing heart, Wanting to serve. I can't just look at people and go, mm mm I have to see people. There's a story in Scripture when Jesus goes to the house of, I believe his name is Simon. And Simon's invited Jesus for a feast. And, and basically, Simon does none of the, the traditional things of hospitality. He doesn't, he doesn't wash Jesus' feet. He doesn't give him any oil. He doesn't give him the, the, the kiss of, uh, of, 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 of a greeting. And a woman who everybody knows slips in. And at his feet, she begins to cry. And she gets embarrassed. And she begins to take her hair down, which you never did. A Jewish woman never did that. And she begins to wipe... His feet with her hair trying to drive the tears. And the more she dries, the more she cries. And the more she cries, the more she dries. And all of a sudden, there's a spectacle going on down here at the, at, off the edge of the table. And there's a question Jesus asks him that every time I read that story, grasps me. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Simon didn't see that woman. He saw a sinner. He saw somebody that wasn't worthy to be in his house. He saw somebody touching this supposed prophet who made him unclean. He didn't see her. Jesus saw her, folks. And listen to me. If you're here this morning and you're hurting, and, and, and you don't think anybody knows who you are or cares who you are, Jesus does. He sees what's in here. If you're here this morning and you think you got it all together, listen, he sees who you are. He knows the real you. Jesus loves us in spite of of our brokenness. He loves us in spite of our arrogance. He loves us. Folks, he sees us. Because he looks through the eyes of compassion with a willing heart. And I want to apply this to us this morning. Just a little bit and we're done. For us to be the kind of church that God wants us to be. I'm going to use the word we. We. And by that, I don't mean a few of us. I mean all of us, okay? All of us need a willing heart that eats and sleeps and breathes serving, okay? Now, it doesn't have to be on a mission trip. It doesn't have to be on a work day. It can just be in your day-to-day, wherever you are, situation it can be at school it can be at the workplace it can be at the service station it can be at the walmart or the restaurants wherever you're at it just you just need a willing heart that wants to serve jesus never got up in the morning wondering what am i going to do today he he never got up and said that his mission was to serve his job was to seek and to bring salvation and by salvation listen to me we've we've narrowed that word down to sharing the gospel okay i want to break it back to its it's it's fuller meaning it means to see someone in need and deliver them from that need then when you've delivered from that need and they say why did you stop to help me hey because i love jesus Because that's what Jesus would have done. And all of a sudden, guess what you've done? You've met a need. You've shared the gospel. We think we've got to take these big sharp knives and get scalps when we share the gospel, okay? (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. We share the gospel to somebody. We just walk up in the restaurant. This poor little old waitress is wearing herself out. We're going to leave her 50 cents for a tip, and we want to share the gospel with her. She don't want to hear nothing you got to say because you don't have anything to say. Okay? You got to smile. I can't get mine. My point is, is that sharing the gospel is essential. Okay? Proclaiming it is essential, but you gotta demonstrate it before you earn the right to proclaim it. Jesus did that. He 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 stooped down and he took that leper by the arm. He stopped when the, the woman touched him that was hemorrhaging. There was compassion there. Folks, he didn't, he didn't wonder, what am I supposed to do? He, he went looking for opportunities as well as recognizing the opportunities that came looking for him. See, God is such a gracious God that if we don't see the opportunities before us, He will send them and they'll grab hold of us. You you, you do understand that, don't you? If we just wander around blind, we'll trip over opportunities. He'll put them in our path. And folks, we got to open our eyes to the opportunities God's placing in our laps. Over the next few weeks, we're going to settle on at a new campus. We're going to have countless opportunities to serve, not just there, okay, but all around us. And our willingness to serve and and the quality at which we do it and the level at which we do it will tell the story of who we really are. It's not just enough to shake somebody's hand and say, welcome. I need to smile. I need to make eye contact. I need to ask them their name. And listen, I struggle with this right here. I need to remember their names some way. I know people, listen, I know uh, Dr. Smith has a memory that whatever you tell him sticks. I don't have that kind of memory, so I have to play these mind games in my head to remember. I got to connect this name with something that I can remember. But we, you know what? We, we got to do that. We've got to learn to smile. We've got to learn to to make eye contact with people because our willingness to serve and the quality and the level at which we do it will tell the story of who we really are. The service we've been performing on the grounds and on the building is getting attention. It's getting noticed. I mentioned that. But people are going to come to see if it's real. Okay? Or it's just a facade. You see, painted buildings, nice restrooms, they're important. Okay? Clean ground. That's important. But there has to be something else after they make the step into there. There has to be a reality. Or we will be just like every other group that purports to be Christian and meets on Sunday. Okay? We have to be different. I believe God's been preparing us systematically for the past four years. I really believe that. I believe God's been working in us so that we would be ready for the kind of scenario that's about to unfold. I believe there's a genuine love between people here that make up this church. But that love has to be shown to others that we don't know and spread to them because they don't know anybody for the most part that really loves them. And listen to me, as we do that, God will transform them and he will transform us and things will change and walls will be broken down and bondage and, and, and chains will fall off and God will be glorified on what is done and it will all happen through the service of a willing heart. Listen to me, you can talk about having a willing heart, but it's always proven through service. If you don't serve, you don't have a willing heart. That's just reality. A person with a willing heart is a guaranteed servant. No matter what happens, they can always be counted on. So my question this morning is this. What about you? Okay, What about you? Do you have a willing heart? Do you have a, a heart that desires to obey no matter what is, is placed before you or where God calls you to go? That's a tough question to answer sometimes. Does your heart long to be served or to serve? You may say, well, Nelson, there's nobody in the church that wants to be served. Oh, yes, there are. There are lots of people that just want you to do for them. They don't understand the concept of doing for somebody else. So what I'm asking you, do you want to serve or do you you want to be served? Because if you want to be served, you don't have a willing heart. That's just the bottom line. A willing heart, and now I want to sum what I've said the last three weeks up in this sentence. A willing heart is one that gives itself wholly to God first and then lives sacrificially through serving others. That's what a willing heart is. That's the best definition I can give you. It's one that gives itself wholly to God first and then lives sacrificially through serving others. Do you Have a willing heart. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.